This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today we are listening back to our live broadcast from the Bullet Bar at our event called Leather Together. Back in March, Queen Anna Algos and I hosted a virtual slash in-person event where we spoke on the topics of leather history, kink and BDSM, as well as a discussion with a panel of leather title holders. Today's episode will be a broadcasting of our discussion led by Queen Anna Algos herself, where we discuss kink and BDSM with Mr. Cyan and Master Joshua. Keep in mind, this was recorded live at the Bullet Bar, so we will hear people in the background whenever we are speaking into the microphone. But the bar was packed that day, we had a blast, and we actually raised $1,500 for Reach LA, the LELC Cares, and the Bullet Bar Pantry that day. I want to extend my personal thanks to everybody who was a part of that night. You were incredible. Thank you for making such a huge difference in our community. Now, if you haven't heard too much about Reach LA or LELC Cares or the Boulevard Pantry, you can go back in our previous episodes to hear more about them. However, I will be rebroadcasting a couple of those episodes later this week and next, just for those of you who maybe haven't heard about those organizations just yet. With that said, I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Leather Talk with Mr. Cyan and Master Joshua. having me on here. Uh, my name is Joshua. I'm known as Master Joshua in the kink community. Uh, I'm based in New York City. I've been doing professional domination for about eight years now. Uh, I'm still having to do the math on that because it bounces around. Do we count COVID? Do we not count COVID? So it's been, it's been a wild time with those numbers. Um, I've been in the lifestyle uh, active community for over a dozen years. I've been an educator for about four of the last five years. And BDSM has structured my life to create something which I'm really excited to talk about. And uh, yes, thank you. <laughs> I just got off a plane from Arizona like an hour and a half ago. So I'm still adjusting to uh, back to New York. Well, we're glad to have you. Awesome, yes. Thank you both for being here. All right, so here's the first question we someone sent in for us to ask you to. How do you define BDSM? What's your definition when someone asks you, what is BDSM? I usually uh, respond, the question I usually get from people is what, what's the difference between leather and BDSM? And my, uh, my answer is usually that leather is our lifestyle and BDSM is what we do. Um, and then if they, from there, it goes on to whatever else. And I tell them it's, it's activity between two consenting adults and it ranges everything from bondage and discipline to sadomasochism and domination and submission services yeah mr cyan definitely know that right on the head um i could <laughs> you got me <laughs> where did the words used to identify bdsm come from 
Like, can you speak on the background about that? You know, you might hear somebody say, oh, it's bondage, or, you know, it's discipline, it's dominance. You know, can you speak on where do these words come from? Sure. Um, there's different aspects in, uh, in our lifestyle. And the, the term BDSM uh, is actually a, the, the letters of the three different types of activities that we find in this lifestyle, basically. The B and D being bondage and discipline. The two middle letters the, from the BDS is dominant submission. The last two letters is S and M. So the four letters actually indicates three different designations that are in our lifestyle. And they are three distinctive de definitions. The bondage and discipline is what most people would consider more about the play uh, and the rope work and so on. The DS may not include any kind of activities. It's more of a dominant sub dynamic that people can choose to become the dominant or to serve in the submissive role. And the S&M part is the more traditional sadomasochistic, which you usually see in some of the, the heavier types of play. And by the way, the BDSM symbol, which if anybody's not familiar, it looks kind of like the yin yang, but it's actually three of them. And those three different parts uh, also pertain to the BD, the DS and the SM. So we get the term BDSM. I don't believe the, uh, the actual term of BDSM came until uh, you know, the mid to late uh, 20th century, but the term S&M had been around for a couple of centuries, basically from uh, the, uh, the Marquis de Sade became famous for his writings and his activities back in the 1700s. Do you have anything, Joshua, you'd like to add? Uh, Mr. Cyan. <laughs> No, ma'am. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Master Joshua, we'll have you answer the first one, the next one first. No, no, listen. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, Master Joshua and I have uh, known each other for a number of years and communicate quite a bit. So you're probably going to see quite a bit of uh, him agreeing with me and me agreeing with him. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Cyan is, uh, is a mentor to me. Um, the knowledge that she's shared with me since we've met and the, the warm welcome is what the leather lifestyle is. She exudes that. And uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student, right? I'm a student on the stage with the teacher. <laughs> All right, so we talked about a little bit of what a BDS stands for. Um, what are the pillars of leather to you? How would you define leather? So, for me, while it's a symbol, and it's a symbol to different people, it means different things, right? My venture into leather and BDSM, I developed my identity through the connections that I've established, through understanding what the process of connection means and seeing my value in those connections. Personally, leather has given me my connection to my higher power or the universe or God, depending on a person's translation through developing faith and establishing levels of integrity that it changed my life, right? So integrity is, is a pillar of leather that is the foundation of everything we do, right? Because transparency, or to the best that we, that we can, right? Because we're human. I'm here talking like, you know, I walk on water. By no stretch of the imagination do I mean that. But to, to live with integrity and to approach these connections with transparency and open heart and open heart listening, you know, you, we can achieve great things. 
great things in our connections and great things within ourselves, right? Uh, so integrity for me is the pillar of, of leather. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I think that's uh, the basic foundation of everything. Uh, I came into this back uh, before the internet and stuff. So uh, my education in the early days was passed down from, from people in the community. So there's a lot of different people have their own definitions of what weather is and what it means to them and so on. And I don't think it's, it's right or wrong for any of us to say what it is and what it isn't. What I like about this question is you're asking us what it means to us. And I think that's important that everybody remembers that leather is what it means to them. Some people, it may be the opportunity to wear leather. The other people may be the, the eroticism that goes along with it with sexual activities. Um, for me, uh, what leather represents to me is a, a way of life. Uh, it's how I, how I live my life uh, through integrity. Uh, it was impressed upon me early on the tenets of, um, of leather was trust, honor, respect. And with those three things, if each person honors those three things, uh, then the dynamics, whether it's friendship or whether it's DS or MS or anything else, can thrive. Uh, because without honesty, there can't be trust. Without trust, there can't be respect. Uh, so they all tie into each one. And if one of them falls out, then you lose the integrity that goes with it. I try to, to me, always do the right thing and think about doing the right thing. Uh, what is going to, uh, what am I going to be honest about and, and let everybody know this about me? Or what am I going to, you know, the trust is such an important thing in my life. I tell people that the the only things that you really can't do is, is steal or lie, because those are the two things that break trust. And once trust is broken, it's very, very, very difficult to rebuild that because in the back of everyone's mind will always be, is it true? So that those three tenets are, are the foundation of which that pillar of integrity is based as far as um, my beliefs. Beautiful answers. I, I, I love that and totally agree with all of that. Now, what do you tell someone who says, you know what, the leather community looks beautiful, looks awesome, but I am not leather enough. I don't think I'm good enough for leather. How do you answer that question? What do you tell that person who thinks that they don't belong, but they want to belong. What I've, because I've heard that, I've heard that a few times. And uh, one, I, the first thing I point out to is it doesn't matter if you have leather or not, right? Leather isn't just what you wear. If, if we're talking about this person being able to identify with what leather means to them, you know, asking, well, what does it mean to you? And hearing what they have to say, uh, reflecting back to them that wearing leather isn't, doesn't make or break if you are or if you aren't, that the journey is independent and, in, and for each individual, right? And they should define their own, they should lay out their own definition of what their leather journey is and isn't, right? Um, also to find community to support them because that's also an integral part on, on what this journey is, right? Having people to hear 
here and help through your growth, right? Because it's not all sunshine and rainbows or floggers and whips, right? It's uh, work goes into this. Work goes into self-actualization. Yeah, I, um, I've also been asked that question a number of times over the years. And my first response usually is a question back asking them why they don't feel that they're leather enough. Um, uh, and that's usually, we'll kind of focus in on, on what the issue is about it, whether they don't have leather or whether they're not involved in, in, in the play or um, you know, they don't understand what it is. You know, so I try to find out why the person feels that way because there's, there's gonna be some stimulus that is creating them their doubt in their mind. Um, and after they kind of figure that out, then they can start answering their own question, you know, and I will guide them through that process as far as, uh, uh, you know, what do they believe in? What is their thing? I will share with them some of my thoughts about, you know, what, what leather means to me, about the, the brotherhood and sisterhood, about the service to the community, um, it's about living your life in an ethical way, um, sharing, sharing the knowledge and the information and education that you get from people in the leather community and that and don't forget the just the, the hot sexy sex that that comes along with it you know all of those things are all uh parts of the foundation of the community and neither one is is the whole bag of bag of tricks and that uh also that you don't have to be everything to be a part of it everybody can can be who they are and that's one of the other things that I felt welcomed in when I first got into this community is that the lack of judgment and the lack of, of having to be with somebody else that I had to be. I could be myself and whether it was going to be with fetish or whether it was gonna be with leather or, or anything else, um, I was brought into the community as a member of the community and that the community is not homogenized. It's, it's made of a lot of different parts. I would try to make them feel welcome and uh, and not get hung up on what they think it has to be to be part of our community. Can you talk about your first experience with kink and BDSM? Can you share that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that question, right? <laughs> um, I'll give one um, recent, right? Because one of, the, one of the parts of my journey is I started hosting parties in New York about eight years ago. And uh, actually, we're picking them back up next month. I'm very excited to open these doors back up. We miss hosting events. I miss connecting with people. Uh, and it's, it's really, really great news. So I started hosting events about eight years ago. And in that process, you grow and you build community and you pay forward a lot of knowledge, right? So you end up moving into uh, educator and hosting classes and teaching and guiding and teaching and guiding. And we forget to put that role down to pick up our own journey, right? And my journey as a bottom hasn't hit its stride until COVID, when I finally got a break for myself to say, what, what do I really want, right? So through a lot of self-reflection, because it's not easy to say, to get out of that headspace, you know, when you've been doing it for a period of time, it's not easy to put that down because you end up creating a, a system around you that is very observant, of anything going around around you. So if someone goes to flog me, I'm watching every single thing that happens and it doesn't allow me to shut my mind. 
So that was a process that I had to unlearn. And then I had to get the courage of telling my partner that I want to be fisted, right? And that's, I need to be talked through this and I need to be eased through the process. And, and we laid it out and the information was going back and forth and feeling that vulnerable was very new to me, right? Because I hadn't experienced it ever to, the, to this degree. What I had also going for me is the history that I have of helping create the same space for other people. So it helped me know what to, how to guide this a bit faster, right? And it helped me understand and, and receive myself as a bottom easier. Uh, not easy, less difficult, right? I don't want to make it sound like it was like easy, but uh, the process of really opening up and sharing and saying it's okay and having that, that comfort put back at me was incredible, right? So uh, another lesson from that is push your boundaries, right? It allows me to want to extend and explore a lot more because I was able to break that barrier of fear of what is it going to be like, you know? That was my bit, my first big experience bottoming. Uh, if, I hope that answers the question. Hey, Queen Anna, can you, uh, I got so tied up in, in listening to Master Joshua. Can you ask <laughs> a question for me again? <laughs> sure, Mr. Sayan. Um, the question was, can you share your first experience with kink in BDSM? And I like Master Joshua's answer because that talks a little bit about his, his journey, you know, his, his growth and, you know, doing that self-reflection, which is very important. And I believe a big part of leather and BDSM is that self-reflection because it's not just about what we wear, it's internal in our actions. Um, yeah, well, I, uh, I got quite of a long journey, so I won't go into all of that, but I will share with that. Uh, that when I did come into this, there was, like I think I said earlier, there was no internet or anything like that. And that uh, you had to be basically read it in. But my first experience was reading uh, some books like the Story of O, uh, getting some of the uh, adult publications and reading it and being interested in it. And uh, as I in, couldn't get more interested in learning more about it because I felt that there was I enjoy I love bondage since I was a kid before I even knew what it was uh, and I stumbled across the magazine um, and I, I believe it might have been called Encore or something like that or Kinky Contacts and the process was that you they, it was full of ads from people personal ads and that uh, you if there was something connected with you would write a letter to this person, you'd put it in an envelope and it was a code on the, uh, on the ad. So you'd write the code on the envelope and then you would take that envelope and put it into a second envelope and address it to the publisher and the publisher would get it. They would open it up. They would check the code, put the address sticker on it and then forward it to that person. So there was no direct contact. Okay. Until the person that you were answering got that mail and contacted you back. So that was the way of, of, of meeting people, basically, uh, if you weren't like going to the leather bars or anything. So I corresponded with a number of people and, uh, and spoke with them on the phone. And uh, I got invited to a, a birthday party. This woman in Orange County invited me and, and she told me, she said, yeah, I know you, we've been talking a lot, but you know, actually I shouldn't be in, inviting you this until we've met in person but i feel very comfortable with you so if anybody asks don't tell them that this is the first time we've met so i went to this party and it was like a, just a 
vanilla kind of birthday party at the pe- person's house. But as time went on, it, it people started disappearing. And I was surprised. So I asked her and another woman she was with, you know, I was like, where is everyone? And she said, oh, they're in the playroom. So they then took me outside uh, towards to the garage that they had converted to a, uh, a dungeon and all soundproofed. And I opened the door and walked in with them and was shocked. It was like six or seven scenes going on. The first scene that I saw was this woman suspended upside down. They were dripping candle wax between her legs, you know, and in the genitals. And she was screaming like she was being dismembered. And I was like almost mortified. It's like, oh my God, you know, I got to get out of here. I was still in the corporate world back then. So my thoughts were like, oh my God, if I get busted, you know, what? And they assured me that everything is, is consensual and there's no drugs and alcohol, everything is safe. And, and then they calmed me down to stay and watch. And when that scene came down, the aftercare and the embrace was very, very, it made such an impression on me about the love and caring about what I first saw. And it kind of made me understand some things and, and realize that the stuff I had been reading in some of these books were not necessarily fantasy erotica. It was people really sharing what they had experienced and putting it into stories. And at that point, they had invited me to, um, to attend a couple of meetings of a, uh, an organization that was meeting here in Southern California called the Society of Janus. And that was pretty much my introduction to it. And I try to share the story as much as I can with people because I hear quite often having sanctuary that people are a little intimidated about coming to a dungeon or something. And those of us who've been in this for a while, you know, we kind of take it for granted. We know how friendly everybody is and stuff like that. But we can't forget about what our, all of us had a first experience. And in many cases, in many times, they were very, very intimidating. Uh, even the first time I went to, I got invited to a weather bar. It was a, a heavy weather bar here in Los Angeles called Grist. And I was all excited about going. And I got there and I saw the weather man in there you know, and their Tom of Finland looks and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> I don't think I can go. I don't know, I went home. And, uh, and because it looks scary. And, um, you know, the, the imagery is hot and erotic, but it was also, you know, a little scary to me based on some of the things that I had read and stuff. But when I finally did go in and meet people and found out how welcoming this community is and how they took me under their wings and taught me and educated me and, are inviting me to the private play parties because there were no there were no dungeons okay uh janice which became threshold would do a party maybe every three to four months but other than that people had a room or a garage or something that they had and they invited friends over for parties and uh you had to know uh you had to know people it was very secretive it wasn't like it was today where it was open you could lose your job you could you know have that problem with your family and stuff. So that was also when I learned about the level of integrity and trust, honor, and respect. Yeah, the the, uh, the event culture now is uh, it's a bit different. It's open uh, with different dungeons hosting public and accessible venues and parties, which uh, has its pros and cons. Right? It's not so so word of mouth and connected like it used to be, but it also allows normalization of what BDSM is. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially on the conversation level, right? Which uh, is one of the approaches that I like to have 
uh, when introducing new people to the community, right? Approach it in conversation. Uh, but in, in speaking of people passing by, like the anxiety of coming through, people do it all the time. It'll take us four or five times before we have the, the ability to walk through the door, right? Uh, and it may not just be the first time. It may happen a few times. Uh, but rest assured, it's everyday people behind those doors. And uh, just like you and me and others here, <laughs> right, that, that we have a wide level of experience, a wide level of knowledge from novice to many decades in the scene, but it's an equal playing field, right? Everyone's friendly. You come in and introduce yourself and, and you'll see at the very least, sit back and just watch and observe, right? And listen and hear what conversations are going on and, and just try to absorb the, absorb the space, right? It, it may be intimidating at first, but once you get the vibe and the feel, uh, it's a very welcoming community. And because it's, um, because we've grown uh, into the, uh, for lack of a better term, the vanilla world in so many ways, is that your people's ability to information and connections with other people are much better today. I would say, you know, if you, for everyone who's afraid of maybe dipping their toe into this, maybe there's ways that you can attend classes online. There's the classes on that you can attend at a lot of locations and stuff. There's there's sites like FetLife that you can get on and actually contact or email people and stuff. You know, don't be afraid to ask questions. We, we all started at, at some point. None of us walked into this knowing it all or being experienced. We all had to come walk that same path. So, and anybody who's been around is going to be more than willing to share that with you and help you down that path. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I have a, a big question. Let's see if I can get it out clearly. All right. So I started um, a kinky movie night where we watch different shows that have exposed people to different ideas around sexuality and orientation. And then last night, we actually just watched the story of O. And it made me think how, you know, some generations, they watched the story of O and they were influenced to get kinky. They watched the secretary influenced to get kinky. And there's some generations, they watched Fifty Shades of Grey or influenced to look more into kinky. And so some people are like, man, that was sexy, that was hot, that's awesome. But then you have the side of people go like, how dare they do that? That's inappropriate, that's non-consensual. And I feel like most people that are here today have been around for all the, the anger that's been around Fifty Shades of Grey. Now for older movies, such as, you know, like the story of O, the secretary and other things like that, what was there the same amount of anger and kind of shunning like there is around like 50 shades of gray or do you think that it was more accepted because nowadays we're talking more about classes and consent well i think there was there's always been a little bit of complaint about all of those movies or all of those stories um the 50 shades was i think a lot more because uh, I think, especially in our community, we expected more um, of what we do. But my feeling is, and I, my my opinion differs from most people on this. I think there was a lot of things on on Fifty Shades of Grey that I didn't agree with, um, and I didn't like. But also, there's two things that I that I think were important that we tend to overlook as a community. Number one, there was a scene in that movie 
where they were doing negotiating. And I do remember a point where the, you know, the guy was interested in ball gags and she was no. And he was like, oh, maybe. And she was like, no, and go, okay, no. You know, that is a really important part of our lifestyle is, is the consent part of it. And it, it, in a small way, for those of us who've been around, it's like, I'm glad to see that because that's not something that is portrayed in most of these other movies. It's about, it's about uh, a, what do I call it, a, um, a power exchange. And in many cases, they don't illustrate that the power exchange is a mutual thing and it's usually given by the submissive and the dominant can't take the power until it's given to them. You know, so I was happy to see about that. Of course, I didn't like the things where they ripped the condom with his teeth. You know, I mean, there was a lot of things not right with it. Also about the play is that it wasn't necessarily portrayed in a positive way, you know, because the, the anger that was in it uh, is not something that we preach and, and practice. We usually tell people don't play when you're angry. Punishment has a, has a purpose in BDSM uh, for closure, uh, for being positive, so that if one side screws up, for example, like, let's, let's just say the submissive does something that, that is really got him in trouble. Okay, the dominant can be angry and hold on to that anger. The submissive can take and be, you know, feeling guilty about making their dominant feel disappointed and stuff. And what punishment does is it allows that, it allows closure. There's, it's, it's done, you learn from it, it's over. Submissive doesn't have to feel guilty, the dominant doesn't have to feel angry. So I, had, I think that was one thing that, that if they would have put into the movie a little bit, it would have made it better. Um, the other thing is that those of us who've been playing for a while, and, and I know a lot of the people that had, that had the biggest complaints were people who were kind of veterans. Again, go back to the first time you went to your first dungeon or first scene and saw how, how maybe intimidating it was. If they really portrayed what we do realistically in a movie that vanilla people would say, I, I'm, my opinion is it would reinforce the old belief about, oh, that's sick, or, oh, that's fucked up, and stuff. It, it was a brief introduction to this lifestyle, and what it accomplished for our lifestyle was people getting interest. Our BDSM 101 class has got very busy. We've, we've had people for years, and a lot of people see that movie and it sparks a curiosity, and they want to learn more. Um, there was a movie that came out, well, I guess it's about 15 years ago, or so called The Pet. And it was going to be about BDSM and stuff. And everybody in our community was so excited about this, this mainstream movie that was going to come out. And they, at some of the dungeons, they did viewing parties for it and stuff. And it turned out to be the worst thing they could have ever done because the movie is terrible. It's, it, everything about it and everything in it portrays is about unconsensual. Um, it was just terrible. So we need to be careful about you know what we we need to step back and realize what some of these movies are, what they're, what the good points, what the bad points, and keep it in perspective and not jump overboard about how great it was or how terrible it was. Yeah, if I can, if I can jump on that, uh, there's always there's always going to be issues with movies. Uh, if you go back a few, a decade, two decades, and then beyond, you have the cultural power exchange that was just always present, right? The male dominated world, right? The American dream and this and the man leads and you know it was there was a home and expected power structure so it wasn't even looked at frowned upon right that was just as it was supposed to be for some people uh, 
fast forward to uh, Fifty Shades, you know, it's a double, it's a blessing and, and a curse, right? Um, my favorite part about it is it's helped, like Mr. Science said, it's put BDSM into the spotlight, that it makes it okay to talk about, right? And the biggest part of this whole process is being able to discuss things, right? How do we go about doing that? Now, how do we go about doing it safely and with people who we feel trusted? And that whole thing, that's a whole different, deeper discussion. But it makes it okay to talk about, which is the first step towards, you know, accepting that we're born this way, right? Because when you realize that everybody you know has something that they desire, it like it normalizes it, right? So now it's like it's just the normal conversation. We're talking about coffee and we're talking about floggings, right? It's like, you know, it's it's okay to talk about. Uh, but then there's 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 a lot of misinformation out there as well, right? And a lot of people who have knowledge and don't use it correctly, right? And the expectations or or the misinformation that people come into the community believing, right? Like particularly submissives, right? And how are they treated upon just beginning their journey by everyone? You know, there's, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, Fifty Shades made it okay to talk about, and people are soaking up, up the information, as Mr. Cyan said, uh, BDSM 101 picked up, right? So uh, people are looking for more than just the play. People are looking for knowledge as well. Yeah, these movies that are done tastefully, I guess is the best I could say it, where it doesn't put it in a very negative mode all, all the time, <clears throat> spurs an interest. And that's that's what's important, is that it doesn't answer all the questions for pe with people, but it spurs uh, a spark of interest so that they can come to these classes. And then that's where we have the opportunity to educate them about, you know, if you've seen this movie, this is what was wrong with it. This is where... Uh, it portrays something that's not exactly accurate. And it gives us an opportunity to, to take and focus the, our, the real life into what the fantasy or what the, uh, or what the spark that got them to come out in the first place was. Instead of just going and watching some porn or, and, and fantasizing about something, they actually engage. And that gives us an opportunity to, to educate people on how to play there safely, who we are, respect um, protocols and so on. Speaking of, of films, uh, I, I'm actually working on a documentary series uh, built around BDSM and what it means uh, to, to the individual. Uh, I started working on it last year and uh, we wrapped it up just before COVID kicked in. And then we had this whole year of COVID and what we're planning on doing to extend it is we're gonna rewatch it uh, when we get a chance in the next couple of weeks and we're going to do our post COVID interview of watching the scene after having been isolated for so many months for over a year. It's a really, really intense and beautiful look into what the BDSM journey would be for the person that we, uh, that we have in, in the uh, completed version, the one that we have now, his name is Tom. He's a mentor to me. He's a leather brother to me. And it's such a beautiful, uh, beautiful storytelling of a person's journey and and what it means to them. So, like, I want to create a series, an eight-part series that we can get this out there so people can look at what it is that we're doing and see it's not 
50 shades, right? That there are real people behind this and emotions and real investments that, that matter to us. Yeah, keep us posted when that film is ready so we can watch and share that information. It sounds like it's going to be very moving. I sent you a trailer. We have a five-minute trailer. Well, I mean, it is a five-minute trailer, but it is gripping. Maybe if you want to put it in the, in the chat, we could do that, too. Yeah, I'll do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So this week, it's going to be June, Pride Month. And there's been a lot of discussion, like there is every year, about keeping kink and BDSM out of pride. <laughs> that pride is only for LGBT or pride is only leather. What is your opinion, answer to people, groups that say um, keep kink out of pride? So uh, this one weighs very heavy on me, right? Because... I personally believe we should have civil rights protections, right? Because for some of us, it's not what we do on Saturday nights, but some of us, it's the way we have built our relationships and our livelihoods, right? It isn't something that we, we go to Spencer's and put up their like flogger that says, you know, whatever on it. This is foundational stuff for some of us. And should we, ha I believe we should have protections for who we are. Forget about a, a spot in a march. Right. I mean, this goes a bit deeper for me. Should we have representation there? Absolutely. One hundred percent without a doubt. You know, and uh, it's not it's it's a it's not a parade. It's a march. Right. So uh, I would like them to keep that in mind as well. I love this question. <laughs> I'm on the board of directors for L.A. Pride and I've been working with L.A. Pride actually since 2006. And. We have had a section of LA Pride called Erotic City, which is an 18 and over. And it is about, and it is all about kink and BDSM. The, uh, this whole section is dedicated to the, to the leather fetish BDSM and kink community. Uh, we have booths with vendors that, have, that are selling leather goods, floggers, toys, and everything else. We have spaces, you know, that are like Sanctuary, Avatar, Southern California Men's Bondage all have spaces for interactive and literally from the the moment we open the doors to la pride till the minute we close on sunday night there is a line of people standing there to come in we have the girls from sanctuary we have the men from avatar we have the men's uh, all doing interactive stuff allowing people to come in so, so they can experience ropes they can experience what being a flogging is like uh, spanking, uh, electrical play, violet wand. We have stage performances, king stage performances of suspensions of uh, single tail. Uh, we've had classes and instructions, like we've had Midori there um, doing demonstrations and teaching people about uh, rope suspension. So LA Pride actually has been very progressive for a long, long time on being inclusive, not only of the, of the entire LGBTQ plus community, but the, the aspects not only within it, but that are on the fringe of it, that for the last 15 years, well, obviously we weren't able to do it in 2020 and we can't have an in-person festival this year, but we have had the LGBTQ plus community involved in it and the heterosexual and pansexual communities. We have had scenes and performances with, with women on women, men on men, um, female, Dom, male sub, male dom, female sub, uh, Master Orpheus here in Los Angeles, you know, Sir Nick, um, 
you know, uh, entropy. Uh, most of the people that, that people have known and seen educating for, for years who are straight, okay, participate in erotic city. So the inclusion of BDSM is not the redheaded stepchild that nobody wants to talk about. It's that this is who we are, and BDSM is not exclusively gay, it's not exclusively leather, it's not exclusively het. Everybody from every area that's involved in it is welcome to come participate and be part of it. So does it belong at Pride? Absolutely. And we have went on media and showcased it and uh, have been, I think, a leader in our um, in our Pride industry, so to speak, as far as bringing BDSM uh, out into the forefront and saying this belongs to be there just as much as the main stage with a, a pop act. Mr. Cyan just made me put my foot in my mouth. What I'm going to do is we're going to reach out to New York Pride and see what we can do on our side to create something like that. Because if that's something I want, then it's something I should help create. Thank you for that. And if you need any assistance or anything, that uh, Master Joshua, you know, reach out. You know, you got my support. 100%. I'm, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have. I work at Sanctuary, and I have helped out at Erotic City with Sanctuary at Pride and it has been beautiful and you meet people that go thank you for being here and then they learn that there's a space where they can practice this where they can take classes where they can meet other kinksters because a lot of people they discover that there's other kinksters out there you know and they go oh I'm not alone or oh I'm not weird and it's like no you're not weird and then they see us doing these demos and they go wait but shouldn't she be crying or bleeding or on the floor you're talking to her checking on her and you're like yeah that, that, that's how it goes that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> so yeah I'm glad we have I'd like to add on to what got, uh, with our Queen Anna said is uh, and there's a lot of people that stand there watching that when you we look, turn to them and say, would you want to try something? They're like, oh, no, no way. And they watch for 20 minutes and they see somebody going up on the cross or something and coming down going, oh, my God, that was all. And also those people who 15 minutes earlier said, no, no way. We're like, yeah, then we'll try that. And they get up there and their experience allows them to change their whole outlook and judgment about what this is all about. And somebody who may have walked in the door thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to get hit. When they experience what a sensual flogging is or something like, hey, and next thing you know, they're over there buying a flogger, you know, so they can go home and, <laughs> and play. We have uh, we have Folsom Street East, which is yeah. a uh, is it like a mini version of Folsom Street ish. Uh, I believe it's the week before Pride, uh, which is not a direct link to Pride. Uh, I just I don't want to discount their work. Uh, they do have uh, a, a, a week. I believe it's a weekend. It is a weekend uh, uh, event. And I've actually had a booth there. I've taught instruction, I think, and I've done demos. I've done, a, they had a demo stage on the previous one that we were able to coordinate uh, demos every hour, which was incredibly well received. With all that being said, I think exposure is very important, right? To show people that, look, it's okay, right? It's, access it's accessible to us. It's accessible to, to all of us if we can find the right ways to approach it, right? Again, it normalizes what it looks like, and it allows the person to more often than not see themselves and connect with what they see going on. Because when you realize that, wow, that is something I, I'm drawn to, and I'm not the only one, right? It, it's a really good feeling. 
that validation and affirmations through the exposure that there's things out there that you, you are into and there's other people just like you. And, you know, some of the, uh, the greatest uh, judgmental people in the last, my last 20 years of working with clients like that, unfortunately, has come from, from some of the, the vanilla LGBTQ community, okay, as far as, like, looking at the leather community as, oh, those, that's weird. I mean, that's, that's, you know, they just want to hit each other, beat each other, and stuff like that. So having it at Pride helps us, it helps us educate those same people, because what bothers me is that there was a time when walking down the street holding hands or kissing someone, uh, you could get arrested for. And the LGBT community fought really, really hard for equal rights and civil rights and equality and stuff like that. So when I see some judgmental aspects within our community, you know, my my feeling is is that, you know, don't become what you fought against. Okay, have an open mind. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but if you have an open mind, allow other people to do what they're doing or come in and try it and see what it's like. And that's what happens. The people will, will, in many cases, come in and they change their mind. And, you know, if we can change one person at a time, their mind, and they can take and go out there as an ally and, and explain to other people who may not understand it, then our we're on the path to making our community much safer. I love that. I love that. And yes, good, good luck with um, the New York ride. I really hope you can get something like Erotic City over there. All right, let's talk a little bit about what is or was your favorite piece of leather, whether it's something you bought yourself or was gifted to you, something you bought last week. What are some of your favorite pieces of leather? And what, did, what did it mean to you? May I, mistress? Yes. My cover, right? Um, so before I got, I, because I, I, I bought this, I had this made by uh, Silas out from, uh, formerly worked at the Leatherman, uh, AJ Silas on Instagram. Phenomenal Leatherman. Uh, he, I don't want to say he works for Marvel and helps recreate their stuff in leather to give him a shout out, but he's fantastic, right? Uh, when I was in the Marines, my cover uh put me in a certain headspace of dominance as a sergeant in the marines i had a there's an energy that you have when you're working with the other marines that that you have to maintain and it always had me in a back straight chest out chin up mind frame uh one day i got the idea of recreating it in leather so i went i bought one and i had him dissected he made it for me and when I put it on that first time, the headspace that it, it helps me recreate is it's empowering, right? Uh, it's, it's empowering. So this is why it's one of my favorite pieces. Now, I have, I'm going to have to kind of split this up into two um, because I think my favorite piece of leather is probably one of my single tails. Uh, because I've had it um, since uh, it was bought for me back in um, in 1994, I think, and it's it's had literally millions of strikes on it. You know, so the the energy exchange through myself to other people and from them through me that coming through my whip is is very very intense and it's something that I'm uh, I'm it's probably my favorite. But where I do have to uh, kind of 
come in there with Master Joshua is what the most meaningful piece is is my cover because it's was something that that was earned. It was something an achievement that that the community and my peers bestowed upon me as far as um, being able to accomplish certain tasks. You know, to be covered. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are with a whip. It doesn't matter how many slaves you've got or anything. It's your ability to lead and your ability for to live a, an authentic and ethical life uh, and to basically be, a, be an example of, you know, who, of what we served and who served us. So the most meaningful piece for me would be my cover and probably my favorite piece would be my, one of my leather whips. Can I throw one more piece in? One more piece. Sure. So uh, through this process of integrity, right, it's not only about lying, but it's there's so many la- layers to it. And part of it is being honest with myself, right, and being able to to engage in ways that are empowering that I shortchange myself because of my fears, right? And uh, this specifically revolves around a more feminine expression for myself where I, I wear a more feminine gear and I feel beautiful and it's empowering for me, but I also fear judgment, right? And that's part of my growth that I'm still working through is being able to embrace my entire self, right? So I struggled with this for a big chunk of COVID as well, because COVID was a lot of inside work. And what dawned on me maybe about two months ago is, because I know I don't have to jump in head first, Right. But I can inch my way in. But what does that look like? I had no idea until I got my first pair of leather boots. Right. And uh, that is a part of myself embracing who I am and leaning into trusting myself and what and what, again, leather means to me. Right. Because if I'm going to be honest, I have to be honest with myself. And if that's going to make me feel stronger, lean into it. Right. Thank you. I like that. I like that answer. All right, here's another. Here's another big one. <laughs> can you be into BDSM and not be leather? And can you be leather and not be into BDSM? Um, absolutely. Like, like I said um, earlier, to me, um, uh, leather is a lifestyle and BDSM is an activity. You know, so we can live the leather lifestyle without participating in those activities. I mean, even in BDSM, there's not um, there's not necessarily an activity. The, the middle two letters, like we discussed earlier, the DS, many cases, they're not players. It's, it's, it's about service. It's about having a dominant, someone who leads the, the, the dynamic and someone who follows in the dynamic, someone who lays down the protocols and someone who follows the protocols. And there's, there's absolutely no activity in that uh, they're not, the, the dominant is not necessarily a top where they want to throw vloggers or do bondage. The bottom may be someone whose uh, fulfillment is in service and, and being in protocol and stuff. So by no means. And there are a lot of people out there that, uh, matter of fact, in the, I would have to say in, in probably the, the head, I mean, because they haven't learned about what leather is about. Some of those people are leather and they don't know it. But there's a lot of people that play just for the fun of their play for the for the sex and play for the, the foreplay of it. So absolutely, you can be one or the other or both. Uh, I, I'll say shorthand, 
I agree. Uh, I have a longer version of that, which I wouldn't. I'd say there's a power exchange in every relationship. And if we were to see how we fall in that role with each person we're engaged in, you know, and it's not overt, right? It's not necessarily something that you're actively engaging. It's just like a natural balance, right? But then that's a whole philosophical thing. I could go down that hole another time. <laughs> but uh, looking at things from, from here, if I was asked that today, I would say, Absolutely, you can be one without the other, right? And break it down to what the approach is. And I mean, Mr. Sion, again, knocked it out of the park. So, yes. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think what you know, Joshua and I are both saying, too, is that it doesn't, there's no written rule. Everybody's individual is how you identify. And our, the biggest uh, disease, so to speak, in our community can be judgment. And, uh, you know, we should not be judging each other on whether somebody is leather because they're not doing this or they're not BSM because they're not doing that. You know, there's, it's like zero or hundred, there's 98 numbers and 99 numbers in between there. And it's where you fit, it's where you live an authentic life and you do what's good, right for you and you live your life for you and not necessarily to meet the standards of other people. Yeah, I mean, as long as everyone is consenting, right? And of, yep. of age to consent. I mean, it's your lifestyle, right? It's who you make the rules. Uh, sorry if it's loud right now. They're about to do one of their rackles. Um, so there are a lot of male gay bars out there. What about lesbians and women out there and people that identify as them? Where do you tell them that they are welcome? That's a tough one. Go ahead. You, go, you have an answer? Well, the, when, when I'm asked, when I'm talking with someone about their journey, right, I, I, one, I try to steer them to what it is that we're doing because we try to cut through the labels. Labels have a time and a place for everything. Right. But we try to get the point across of people before kink. Right. And the idea is we are people. We are who we are before what we are. Right. And if we can learn how to be in an environment where this conversation is normalized, you get comfortable discussing it. Right. And that's empowering when you can know what it is that you're trying to feel and express. And when it's being mirrored back to you because the people in front of you are genuinely interested in hearing what you have to say. Right. Because just because you're into BDSM or leather doesn't mean you're looking to hook up. Right. So we try to get them to experience one of our events to give them a baseline of what an experience could look like being at an event, the energy, the conversations, the normal people. Right. The, the people, everyday people that it's not it's not our biggest fear. I also direct them to education over drinking establishments. Right. Because depending on what if you're talking to me, I'm going to point you in one direction because I am not the biggest believer in mixing alcohol with play, especially if you're beginning your journey. Right. I think the, these this approach, you should make these decisions in clear mind and be well informed before you dive in headfirst. So more often than not, I'm directing people to education. That's my personal bias, but I also feel that's my personal responsibility. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. But. You know, I am I'm proud to be a part of the L.A. leather community because we've been very much in a leadership role in this country as far as uh, progression. And 
The LA Leather Coalition is a coalition of 30 different groups that are all inclusive of uh, um, gay, lesbians, everything in there. Also, we're blessed with having leather bars in Los Angeles that believe in inclusivity. You know, you're you mentioned you're at the Bullet right now. Michael Michael makes us feel welcome when we go to the Bullet. Charlie makes us feel welcome when we go to the Eagle. You know, there are a lot of other cities that I've been into uh, in this country where you go to, and I won't mention name, but a, a their leather bar and. At best, you're feeling tolerated, or uh, you're basically even said that, you know, uh, I don't think you're a good fit for here. So I know a story back uh, a couple of years ago where uh, two leathermen were traveling and came into LA and they went to the Eagle and there was some women in there and, and Charlie was out there and these guys started voicing their displeasure like they, they the LA Eagle, we came here because it's supposed to be a leather bar, you know, what are women doing in here? And, and Charlie spoke up and said, you know what, they're part of our community and we welcome every, every part of our community here. But LA has been, been a, to me, a, a blessing uh, for lesbian community. The, the men's leather bars have opened up and let, let us do events there at their bars and stuff. But again, if you're looking for the education or you're looking to really get into it, I don't think the bars are the place to necessarily go. If you're looking to meet the people and strictly social, that's something else. But here in Los Angeles, we've got a number of different dungeons and a number of different opportunities for education that you don't have to necessarily go to a, you know, to one of the leather bars. But I do think that I, off the top of my head, I wouldn't be able to pop off three bars that are strictly, you know, for, uh, for lesbian kink like we could with like with the eagle or the bullet or the fault line or or any of those thank you mistress for that let me just throw in uh rock bar uh has is, has been very welcoming uh here in new york city very open gendered approach very amazing uh growing leather community yes i wanted to throw that in there oh there's also i would also direct them to other leather organizations right because depending on the direction that they're looking to go uh they may want a specific feel for what they want their journey to begin with. So I'd, facil I'd be able to facilitate that uh, as well. Mr. Sain, you made that, you gave me that uh, reminder. Thank you. And, you know, I would, you know, whoever asked that question stuff, I would urge you to support these, um, these facilities, these uh, bars, these venues or whatever that are accepting it because they are necessary kind of in, in some ways going against the traditional grain and stuff. And to me, if they're gonna open up our doors, we do have a responsibility of supporting these venues uh, and, and thanking them for their support. That's a big, that's a big point is uh, a lot of times you hear, well, there isn't enough of this out there and there isn't enough of that. I had to start hosting parties myself because I, there was something that I was missing, right? And sometimes you have to be the change you wanna see. Right. So make yourself push those boundaries and, and, and create your space in areas you want to be seen. Right. Because we are all on the same journey. Right. And sometimes we have to be a little uncomfortable where we where we stand so that we can create space for others like ourselves going through the same experience. And if I can add to that, too, you know, not only about, you know, supporting it and stuff like that, but, you know, 
if you're going to be one of those people that are complaining about something, then step up and, and do something about it. Uh, actually, I, I, with LA Pride, that um, I had got diagnosed with cancer in 2015. So I was pretty much off the scene for six or seven months going through treatment and stuff. And in 2016, uh, LA Pride reached out to me and said, uh, would you uh, would you help us? Would you come back and help us with Erotic City? Because the, uh, the person that was doing it got, I won't go into details. It was just a split and there was some uh, problems with it. And there was some, some comments made about having had people there. Uh, and it upset me. But I thought to myself, you know, I'm not happy about some of the, the things that were being said about, um, about having Erotic City there and having the head community there. But, you know, if I can either let it go and say screw it, or I can take a seat at the table and, and help change it. And I think we all, if, if we're ever unhappy with something and we're given the opportunity, to do something with it, that you turn that opportunity into responsibility and say, you know what, if I, if I don't like the way something is and I have an opportunity, I'm going to be responsible enough to step up and help make change. Um, awesome. Thank you for that. Um, and then we got the, the anonymous question in the chat. Um, I know you get, I probably get this a lot, but what advice would you give a newbie Leatherman or Kingster? I'm not entirely sure how to meet especially when there's not a big scene where I am. Do you want to go with that, Josh? I didn't quite fully hear the, everything. It was a little bit loud. So the question, the question is, what advice would you give to a newbie Leatherman Kingster? I'm not entirely sure how to meet people nearby. So that there's, there's a million ways you can do that. Um, depending on your approach to, to connection and what you feel most comfortable, right? Uh, one of the most common ways, and it's not one of my favorite, but it makes knowledgeable, more accessible is online. Um, as the cities start opening back up uh, and in-person sessions become more available, attending munches and education, I think would be the best initial approach right? So that you can start putting words to these ideas and thoughts you have inside, right? Education, knowledge, self-awareness. Uh, take your time and question everything, right? Especially if someone introduces themselves as master or mistress, what have you, <laughs> right? Don't take it at face value. There's no certifications that give us any of these powers, right? <laughs> Pace yourself and do a lot of research. That, that's what I would give just off the bat. Yeah, then that's, and that's really, really good advice. Uh, munches and things where there's, you know, there's not, it's a public place. It's not going to be intimidating. There may not be play involved, but it gives you an opportunity to meet someone um, on there. And just because someone says who they are, if somebody sounds like they're very knowledgeable and stuff, you know, do a little bit of background, ask them, you know, do you have a profile on that life? Or, you know, what, what events have you, uh, do you usually attend? If they're going to certain parties and they go, oh, I, I'm, I'm a regular over at such and such, you know, you can usually find that online and contact somebody, especially if you're going to play with them in a, in a private situation, is to do your research and find out, hey, I've, um, I met someone such and such, they had mentioned that they're uh, a regular, so do you know anything about them or can you, uh, would you recommend? Uh, we're all about safety. I mean, our whole community 
depends on everybody's ability to play safe with someone else because it wouldn't take much for a very serious accident um, to cause concern and have have our community and our venues, you know, put down or regulated against. I mean, we don't even have to do anything wrong sometimes when we've got people trying to regulate against what we do. I'll even say that, and this might be off a little bit, but you know, what we do is not considered legal in the, in the eyes of the law. Okay, uh, and as far as even spanking someone, because you do not have the right to a consent to an assault. But the reason that these things don't happen is because though consent does not play into it as far as what the law is, it does play into it when it goes when we go to a trial. So most district attorneys will not take on a case because they know they're going to basically lose it in court if it's between two consenting adults. But that because of things like that, if we're not careful and there are dangerous people out there to do some things, and they have, and we've gotten some bad press in this country from predators who were not kinky, but you know, put ads in kink magazines and met people and murdered them and stuff, that we have we each have our a responsibility of diligence to to see what we're going into. And I will say to anybody who's in a submissive mode, you have just as much responsibility for your own safety as the top does. Um, so ask questions, look around the, the double-edged sword internet, use the positive side of it to get some good information, to find out about people, to find out about places. You know, uh, there's a wealth of information, there's a wealth of people out there who are willing to share with you, but don't listen and believe everything you hear. Look into it, meet people, make some decisions on your own. Queen, uh, Queen Anna just dropped in the uh, YouTube link for the uh, documentary video. If anyone's interested in watching it, uh, please feel free to, and leave comments. I, I spoke with the gentleman who is, uh, the documentary is about. He'd be open to a showing where it was recorded as well, should that be of interest. Um, and another part I would add to is having patience too. I know a lot of people, they enter the leather community, they enter the BDS community, and they're in a rush to do all the things, to meet all the people. And it, it just takes time. It takes time. Um, but keep at it. Talk to as many people as you can. And, you know, and, and great things will happen. Great things will happen. Can you two define what it means to be vulnerable and how that pertains to the leather community and the king community? If there is a difference, uh, what does what does that mean to you and how does that play a part in the king community and the leather community? So vulnerability, I think there, there's, a, there's a, many layers to it, right? When Mr. Cyan was giving, teaching a, a whipping class once and I had volunteered to, to be a demo bottom. What I was expressing through that, what I was, I was trying to convey through that was my level of respect and trust for who she is, right? And we've not had, we've had really deep conversations, right? We've, we've connected in the short periods of time that we have. And to be vulnerable was to show my great respect for her and giving myself to her, under her hand, right? It's the most valuable thing that we have, right? It's, it's our soul, right? That's how we, get broken is when, when we become vulnerable, you know, vulnerability, I ask clients to define it, you know, and I'll either get a positive or a negative outlook on def, a definition on what vulnerability means, right? 
generally the people who have a negative definition have been hurt and they're traumatized and vulnerability is scary. So to be able to access that is a different level of commitment and, and dive from them. If there's someone from the more optimistic side, it's a sharing, it's a gift, right? So they carry so much weight differently depending on who it is. Yeah, that was great. And it's hard to, you know, expound much on that. I would say, one thing I would say is that vulnerability, most people think of vulnerability as far as like safety and uh, more in a physical sense. You know, oh my gosh, when I'm tied up, uh, I'm, I'm so vulnerable. Any people can do whatever they want to me or I'm, I'm in a space where I'm helpless and so on. Or if I'm cuffed and somebody's got a whip, I'm very vulnerable to it. But another vulnerability that both, that every single person I believe in our in our lifestyle is vulnerable about is the emotional vulnerability. We invest more than our time into our dynamics. We invest our soul. We invest our love. Uh, and in many cases, dynamics don't always end well, like any other relationship does. And I'm fully aware that you know what I choose to give to be in a dynamic as far as my vulnerability and basically, you know, opening up my armor, so to speak, I know the only thing that really can hurt me is my, uh, my connection and having someone emotionally hurt me. I'm not afraid of anything, but I am feel that I'm very vulnerable to an emotional pain and stuff. If, uh, if things, didn't go well. And when, when that relationship or that dynamic breaks up, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm happily married and my wife is amazing, but I've also got some college slaves and some of which have been more than eight to 10 years taller to me. And, and I had a situation a couple of years ago with someone who wanted to be collared and we developed a dynamic working towards that collar and it got very, very close and that um, emotionally and stuff on. And this person I had to release because of uh, they were having a, a drug problem and I needed to, if I didn't get some like tough love, it was gonna be more enabling them. And that was very difficult. That, that was sticking a dagger in me to have to do that. So we're all vulnerable, both physically when we're doing the activity but also when we get involved into a dynamic, both sides have a, an investment that makes us very vulnerable. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, that's because that's, that's like the, that's it right there is inside, inside the armor. I don't, I don't lead with the intention of a negative ending, right? It's like, I, I like to lean into it and that leaves us very vulnerable. Yeah, that's our that's our biggest weakness. We can be powerful and strong and dominant and controlling and everything else, but that's that's our Achilles heel. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. All right, next question. Do you think BDSM unlocked or revealed another part of you that was always there, or was this something that grew on you? Well, okay, I'll go ahead and go. I, I think it did two things to me, actually, uh, and, and both of them. One is uh, that it was uh, it was inside that was revealed and something that was unlocked, too. When I was growing up, again, there was no, the only thing you could read about this in a library was that it was a mental illness. 
and stuff. So, you know, you tend to be in a denial. But as a, as a kid, I played with my brothers, you know, when they would play cops and robbers or something. And I love being able to catch somebody and tie them up or be caught and tied up. So bondage was like just a big thrill and for people who are my age. They might remember there was a TV show called Batman with Adam West. And it was a two part. And at the first end of the first episode, uh, it would always end with them in some kind of predicament. You know, the the adversary would never shoot him or something. I'd always have him tied up to something, you know, and this was going to happen. And between that and Catwoman, it's like, oh, my God, that is so hot. And I didn't know why I was so interested in this predicament and stuff like that. But it was something that, you know, I didn't even know what kink, I didn't know even know what sexual stuff was. I was just a kid, but it, it, it got to me. You know, later on, it made a lot of sense. But when I first got into what re, I would say the revealing part for me was that when I first got into this community, I've been in a, a type A dominant personality my whole life. Okay. Uh, I'm the type of person that if you ask me something, I'll go to the end of the world for you. But if you tell me something, we're going to have a problem. Um, and when I first came into this, the thought of having to come in as a submissive or as a bottom, you know, that was the one thing that concerned me. And um, eventually I agreed to, um, to a birthday spanking. And I thought it was going to be really unpleasant. It turned out to be very erotic <laughs> and changed my mind and said, wait a minute, there's something, there's something to this. And for the first four years of being in this lifestyle, I was on the submissive end of it. And I ended up being collared by a master. And, and it wasn't easy, but I learned the difference between submission and surrender. You know, uh, I surrendered that. That power exchange came from me, and it was, a, it was about the commitment. It was about not only the commitment to my master, but it was about the commitment to myself. I committed to do this, and no, it wasn't easy, especially being a very dominant person. It wasn't easy. Um, but it, it, I learned that you grow when you're outside of your comfort level. I was outside of my comfort level. But back then, I was very introverted. Um, my thought of being where I am today would have been the last thing on my mind. I learned so much self-discipline, uh, not only within our dynamic, but what went on to help me in my personal life, my business life, and everything else. So there, I think my, my kink was, was already in there, but I think it unlocked some doors that I never would have, um, I never would have thought to enter. So, uh, I have, a, I have a similar answer where uh, I believe we're born this way. I believe we have innate desires that are present, right? Experiences throughout our lives shape some of them. Others are just underlying and just waiting for opportunities to present themselves. Um, I also think as we continue down our journey, we unlock doors, as Mistress said, uh, to other ideas and, and things that we would have never even imagined. Now, if it falls on our yes or no side, you know, it's, it's totally up to however your journey is for you. Uh, but I, it's, it's affected me both ways, uh, pleasantly, you know, you know, they, you'll hear the thing, uh, never, you always try something twice and what have you, it's very true, but we won't go down that road. It's also given me a better understanding of what faith means, uh, and connected me with a higher, my higher power, so to speak, uh, through power exchange, right? I, I do photography as well. And uh, I took a picture of my slave, my then slave. And in this moment of post-production, which 
I really dislike. <laughs> I thought about what commitment meant and his commitment to me and his faith in my decision-making for his role in my life and his own for that matter. Uh, the faith that he gave me mostly without question, right? Because there, there's always those times where are like, oh, wait a second, right? And it's like, trust me, right? So the process that went into that, and I said, wow, if that's what faith means, you know, that's what, and then I started to compare it to other things, religious folk and their faith in their higher power. And I said, well, what's my faith? And my faith is karma, right? And I lean into that while I practice and exercise my lifestyle is posit positivity, right? Always doing what's right. So it was this big chain of events that happened in this five minute period of post-production of this picture of my slave, my then slave. And it really changed my, my perspective on life and what I'm doing with this journey. You know, every time I'm almost about to leave the community because I've had it up to here, something happens and it's like it reinvigorates my drive to give and to, to offer. Yeah, you know, Master Joshua said something about, you know, trying it twice. But, you know, I had someone one time told me, you know, uh, you don't like it after doing it twice. Do it three times just to make sure. And, <laughs> and then they explained to me, actually, that sometimes, you know, because we're all individuals, that what someone, what one experience you may have with one person may be a total different experience with another person, depending on, you know, I mean, I've seen people that have a, impeccable skills okay technique that's perfect but they don't know how to get a connection with you you know they're not touching you or so there's other people that their skills are not that great but they build such a connection it's like a bond and a magic and stuff so you know it's just because you might try something that you said oh that that you try to care that don't be afraid to try it again with somebody else but and when you do share what your experience was that, because you know what, you may find out that something that you tried to even like it, doing it with somebody else, you found out the way turned you on. Absolutely. Did we lose Queen Anna? <laughs> no, I, okay. Queen Anna, Queen Anna's gone. Mr. Bullet Leather is here now. Hi, hi guys. <laughs> hi, so I just jumped into the conversation and I can't help but hear Mr. Cyan, kind of what we were talking about here at the Bullet few days ago or last week was it where we talked yeah. about the the connection one of my personal experiences with that was the first time that i was flogged here at the bullet actually and i thought oh this is going to be i was just expecting the physicality of it right but one of the things that the top did was he came up to me right when he could tell that i was reaching my threshold and whispered in my ear and just caressed my back and is asking me, he's like, oh, is that okay? Can we go further? Like, I want to take you further. And like that kind of thing just made me want more. Like that's the kind of connection that we're looking for, right? It's like not always just about the skill, but what about the intention behind it? And the trust that it builds by, you know, letting you know that they're in tune to you and letting you make the decision to go farther, not the quote, the dominant going to decide how far you're going to go. I mean, that to me, is a very important part of building trust um, because again, going back to that vulnerability part, you're up there on the cross, somebody else is hitting you with something. You know, there's a tendency sometimes to have a wall that you build up out of fear, and you don't let yourself really drift. But when somebody has a bad strike and they rap and they come up and they acknowledge it, it builds trust that hey, this person knows what they do or they care or they come up and touch you like that, and it just it you just tend to have a stronger bond and believe in them. 
I, uh, I, um, people mistake connection with deep relationship, right? Uh, it's the connection can be established in moments. It, it, it's present everywhere. Well, sorry, leading in with intentions known, right? Allows connection to happen. If you put the person before the kink, it allows connection to happen, right? The idea, again, people before kink. Even if I'm coming up to you for a demo, right? Because you were doing a demo, you're flogging someone, it was really cool, and I really loved how it looked. I'm not going to come up to you and say, oh, can you flog me next, mm-hmm. right? Because then I'm, I should just be looking for where I put my money in so that my kink dispenser could flog me, right? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. be interested in the person. Tell me about how you, how did you get into this? Right. What does it mean for you and how how did you show a genuine interest in the person with the experience? Right. So you can associate a little more with it. Right. So that maybe we can really discuss what it is that I'm trying to experience. Right. But if I said, oh, I want you to flog me or someone comes to me and I want you to flog me. Well, what does that mean? Right. I can I can flog. Right. But the action of flogging is just the action. What about the emotion behind it? Right. What are we doing it? Yeah, absolutely. And Master Joshua, I love how you say uh, people before kink. It's so important and it's a a huge message. We have about three minutes left and I I want to know, Mr. Cyan and Master Joshua, if you have any closing statements for our audience before we go on to our performances for the next segment. um, I would like to say that, Brandon, I saw your violin um, performance just before this. And I was touched. I was amazed at you. That was a treat. And I was honored to be able to hear you play. That was fucking incredible. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow, I missed that. Uh, no, no. I, I mean, we, we really put uh, a bit out. Uh, uh, just again, everyone, take your time and, and pace yourself. There's no race. There's no rush in this journey. Uh, there's no right way or wrong way. And just make sure you are well informed in the decisions you make. And you can always say no. And people like Master Joshua and myself are accessible. You know, we may we may have a persona that you know, people see and, and think that we are unapproachable. But you know, we came from a, a, a place of people educated us, so we take a very serious responsibility to pass that that education and that mentorship and that help on to others. So, you know, you can find us on the internet. You know, if there's ever any questions or anything else, you know, if it's not us, find somebody that, that has a reputation and reach out to them. I would pretty much almost guarantee that anybody who's been in this for a while is genuine and is going to be that helping hand or that guidance that you need. Well, I want to thank you both again so much for coming on the show and, and just talking with, about your experiences and being so open we're going to move on to our next segment of performances. Thank you so much, everyone. Silent Zoom clap. <laughs> Thank you for having us there. Well, that concludes our live broadcast on the topic of kink and BDSM with Queen Anna Algos, Mr. Cyan, and Master Joshua. Keep an eye out for an episode released later this week on Reach LA and the LELC Cares. Also, make sure to stay tuned for our next Leather Talk Zoom party coming up next Tuesday, August 3rd at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. To find out more information on all of that and more, you may find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky.